0: Welcome to this next episode of In Conversation With. In today's podcast, Vanessa Chatstone SI alum Paul Curie, who co-facilitated the recent module on sustainable cities. Paul is manager of the Urban Systems Unit at ICLE Africa, where he researches African urban resource and service systems with a special interest in connecting quantitative analysis with storytelling and visual elicitation. With ICLI Africa, he supports African local government offices and stakeholders to take on a systems approach, both in strategy and implementation. Enjoy this fascinating conversation they have up next. Welcome, Paul. It's so great to have you with us today. Thank you for giving your time for our podcast series, uh, In Conversation With. I'm really excited to talk to you today about the module that you recently co-facilitated at the Sustainability Institute called Sustainable Cities, that I believe you co-facilitated with Dr. Edgar Peterser and Prof. Mark Swilling, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, delighted to be here and um, it's wonderful to reflect on this module uh, because it is effectively the reason I joined the Sustainability Institute in 2013. Um, Amazing. And is, uh yeah, one of the key... Uh, exciting parts of my year, uh, because it represents a moment <laughs> to reflect uh, with some great thinkers, uh, both Mark and Edgar, but also um, participants in the course, who every year um, challenge my own thinking and push me uh, to go further. So it's wonderful.
0: That's great. Um, so maybe just to to start off, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what the, the module actually entails. What is it about um, for those who of us who don't know sustainable cities and why is this an important topic within sort of the sustainability field?
1: Yeah well Edgar usually starts with his intro which positions cities um, as as these concentrators of people, resources, uh, challenges, innovation, um, opportunities uh, and remarks that as urbanists, we have a bit of a conceit that we suggest that cities are the central place and the fundamental place that you have to intervene for sustainability to work. Um, and that's at global uh, level as well. So the course uh, sort of unpacks this, what does sustainability uh, mean within a city? And, and you know, how do you make a sustainable city as, a, as an entity? Um, but how can improving the uh, efficiency, inclusivity, and functioning of our urban spaces uh, support wider global sustainability goals?
0: Mm. And I think that also probably links to uh, the urbanization trends that we're seeing across the the globe. And I was wondering if you could maybe share a little bit more with us um, what we're seeing across the globe, as well as sort of what urbanization trends, uh, what the implications are for the African continent and maybe more specifically South Africa.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the initial basic reading that you'll do before you enter the, the module is, Uh, contextualizing uh, the course in the second urbanization wave. So the first urbanization wave taking uh, 200 or so years um, for industrialized countries to get to their urban state. And now uh, the second uh, urbanization wave where African and Asian cities are uh, reaching the same levels uh, of urbanization and beyond uh, in a much shorter time period. So. You know, if you read sort of any academic literature or, or uh, enter the sustainable city space in Africa, your first sort of statement is rapid urban growth and what this means. So we situate the course with a lot of reflection on, on African cities, particularly because they challenge the normal inroad for sustainable development, where a lot of people associate sustainability with environmental consciousness. Um, here, the inroad is really... Uh, look at the socio-economic uh, challenges that are faced when uh, so many people are being born into a city that has yet to be uh, to have all of its infrastructure ready, um, and things like that. So the urban trends that we're seeing are uh, the population growth, the need for more built environment which is now uh, covering urban, um, sorry, agricultural land um, because cities are typically built on very fertile land um, often it's unplanned because we haven't had enough time to build enough houses uh, for new people, and so there's a lot of informality in African cities, uh, and so cities have to keep up with this different type of urban living where there's a lot uh, more adaptive or emergent um, Uh We've got a large youth population, which is both promising and, and we haven't yet worked out how to properly employ or uh pursue an entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, And then the nature of uh, African cities is as having people who have many different homes. And so connected to a rural home uh, or moving from city to city to pursue different work. And so the question of ownership and how you invest in your own city um, is worth understanding. And feel a sense of ownership or citizenship in a space. Uh, Often it doesn't receive as much attention or investment. That Mm. was a lot uh, on the word of trends, but those are some of the themes we see in African cities.
0: Mm. Super interesting. And I think um, this touches on sort of my next question uh, or the next two questions really is, you know, I know in the module you also address sort of underlying value assumptions that shape the way different paradigms address urban challenges and I was just wondering if you could, could share more about this, sort of what does that mean? Um, what are the different value assumptions that you look at? Um, yeah, just share a bit more about, about that specifically.
1: Sure, I, you know, I suppose my, my realm, um, I don't know if I can comment very much on values. What, what word pops into my mind uh, there is uh, some of the aspirations that uh, urban dwellers have. And we're talking about sustainability our cities, it's, its yes, current impacts, uh, both social and environmental, but if you want to intervene, you, you have to engage with the urban imagination. What types of livelihoods do people want to live? Um, how can you excite people about uh, a lifestyle that that isn't as consumptive, for example, as we see uh, in the US or Europe? Um, and then managing that tension with people's expressed Desire to to um, uh, develop feels like the wrong word. To to improve their lifestyles or to live the lives that they're seeing um, others do, and so you know it's a bit unfortunate to have to suggest to someone that no, you know, because the world is under pressure, you can't develop and have the same things as everyone else, and that's a bit absurd. Mm. So how do we manage that aspiration um, and? provide quality lifestyles, but in low-impact uh, manners. Uh, and some of the way that we engage this is, is through uh, the question of, of resource flows and infrastructures right in the beginning, uh, talking a lot about the urban form and what makes the city physically before we then somewhat uncover uh, the cultures and the ways of living that are connected to this urban form uh, and indeed, that question of well, how do you create community and government and private sector change agency um, to support change in these very cumbersome, um, locked-in systems? Mm. So that's that's where the values I think come in is is the question of culture and imagination.
0: Mm. I mean, talk about a, a complex problem, right? <laughs> and I think I think also it's it's not necessarily just the current situation, but also the historical context of a city, right? Um, and and sort of um, the social aspects linked to to that. Um, for example, in the South African context, we were dealing with the historical legacies of spatial segregation and inequality. Um, so how do you, I mean, how does that get sort of pulled in? And um, yeah, how, how does one... Even begin to unpack um, that sort of com- the complexity behind behind these kinds of um, yeah problems.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're we're diving in with an assumption right up front, saying that it's a complex system, and I think a lot of people haven't yet uh, taken this fully on, you know. And certainly, the way that we manage cities is in a silo, departmentalized. You know, boxed approach. So I think the first way to do this is to acknowledge that it's a complex system and that it's not fixable with one person's intervention with one single in, in intervention um, but takes a lot of movement building and aligning of different interests. and so you've got political interests which are layered, you've got uh, economic systems which which have a bit of their own logic which might defy what uh, we want in in talking calling for sustainability, um, so yeah. So when, when you have a lock in of spatial injustice, uh, you have to look at the different pressures that are are keeping this locked in. You know, if as we started this conversation, we spoke about ownership and investment. You know, if people who get economic means uh, in spaces which have been historically uninvested or marginalised. Um, And if if someone manages to to start doing well, are they going to invest in that space or are they going to move? Um, And so you find kind of poverty traps reinforcing themselves. Uh, And so it really takes um, strong interventions um, and big investments uh, to really change this dynamic. Um, And to do that, Mm. you have to to recognize key interventions in the system and and really push for them uh, you know mm. so I mean what you 're what you're seeing it 's not just south africa it 's all over um, the continent where you often have a, a historical kind of small area which used to be the colonial city which is is now which is sewered and networked infrastructure and uh, all of that and then surrounding it are these unplanned uh, sprawling settlements um, which have their own logic and in South Africa. Uh, to me, the argument is: give everyone the network. We have a really robust infrastructure system. It's really just about extending it properly and making sure everyone has access. Whereas in other cities, where the majority city is seventy percent informal, there are other logics which will probably work better. Um, so here, how can we experiment with microgrids? How we how can we try new forms of uh, resource access and and new forms of uh, mobility and urban planning? Um, and again, back to the point you know without experimenting on on people but as viable and strong uh, approaches
0: mm. so um, I think that's uh, very interesting because um, one of my questions really as you're talking is for you the biggest um, you know you spoke about intervention points, and um, you know often I ask our our guests as a change maker working in this space, or somebody sort of working in a space that's 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 wanting to see a transition to a, a more just or generative, sustainable future, for you, what would be the biggest? Maybe just to summarize, what would be those biggest um, leverage points, and and who are the actors that drive that? Um, yeah, where do you put your energy and your focus, especially sort of le- let's say for a South African city? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, I think, as sort of remarked about with the with a complex system, it depends who you are and where your your passion lies, and so th- there is a necessary role for different change uh, agents, and so whether it is a person protesting and and creating a movement of of uh, protest to draw attention to certain issues, um, whether it's someone who is still an activist but working from within. An organisation to slowly change uh, culture and mindset and approach. Um, you know, whether it's a local government who who have certain mandates and are trying to push the boundaries of what those mandates are, or indeed do a bit of soul searching, as we've seen this this year with with uh, uh, the pandemic, that local governments have had to ask kind of what their role is in uh, housing and and uh, food and a lot of systems which are at provincial or higher level. So uh, my rambly answer, I suppose, to come back to what what I think is important, you know, people are at the centre of this, and so more dialogue, more engagement, um, and finding more opportunities for for, uh, people to see each other and learn from each other. um, Because that's where you see how um, interconnected our our work is. Um, You know, and I, I think we often get a bit frustrated working in a sustainability realm because we're hearing the same things fed back to us uh, from our network. Um, And sometimes, you know, but sometimes we forget that a lot of people aren't on board with the arguments that we're making or haven't really heard them before. And so you have to keep the advocacy going. Um, And yes, when you can hear people repeating the arguments you've been making, it can be frustrating. But on the other hand, it's really nice to have that reinforcement, um, yeah. So in closing to my to my ramble, I, I think uh, the opportunities for learning, but but paying attention to where uh, those uh, ideas uh, are ready for implementation. You know, so when you see an opportunity mm. in your work, uh, taking it, um, and yeah. So I, I suppose I'm subscribing to incrementalism here, which is uh, the gathering of lots of uh, interventions which lead to a, a wider movement.
0: Mm. And maybe speaking to, I mean, I really like what you said now and, and speaking to incrementalism and I wonder you, what your response would be to this, but is there a danger of, um, you know, what I've often heard before is, you know, we, we, especially people working in this field of sustainability or looking to transition to more sustainable futures is often this idea that, um, or this um, sort of accusation in a way that we actually don't know we can't imagine really what we want to transition towards you know what is our big vision what does a different city really look like what you know what does it um what are the what are the details of that what are the you know and I think sometimes there's a lack of imagination or imagining what that future could look like and um you know maybe that's um my question around sort of smart cities i know that's been a been a word that's often been punted by government and and corporates and i think it, it really has been the one sort of imaginary that's been really put out there of this smart city which often has lots of technology in it and you know i think um you know i guess my question is the one On the one hand, is there a danger of just incrementally doing bits and pieces that we feel as individual actors or even smaller groups will bring us to something without really ever being able to look up and, and see the bigger picture of what we're working towards? I mean, is there a broader understanding of, of what we want to be working towards? And then I guess also maybe a second sort of part of that is you know how does that smart city? For those who might not have heard of the concept of a smart city, um, you know how does that play into this idea of imaginaries? And um, yeah, I guess your opinion also on smart cities.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot there. Um, I think you need both. I think you need the people who are going to broadcast visions and excite people. Um, we see this. There's there's been a lot of advocacy around making sure that cities and local governments are represented in global sustainability. Uh, And so the Sustainable Development Goals, for example, having uh, a goal specifically around um, cities uh, and communities. The new urban agenda in stating some visions, and here, you know, the words of resilient cities, safe cities, inclusive cities, sustainable cities. Uh, And you need those. And you need to excite people about what what they are. Uh, But then there's a risk of, of... what they actually mean. We had a great engagement with, with someone in Cape Town who says, well, if I walk out of my door, how will I know what an inclusive city means? You know, And so the, the danger of these buzzwords not necessarily being grounded. Uh, and you need people mm. who are going to push the boundaries uh, one bit at a time and who have an ethereal sense of what they uh, kind of uh, are going for and, and, and looking for. And that's that can be informed by these future imaginaries, but it's really about Tangling with the context that you're in, and seeing something and improving it as directly as possible, Um, and I think it's really important, for example, to have radical voices who are going to completely challenge the inertia that we're in um, and say we need to change, we need to shift everything now, uh, but also to acknowledge that some uh, that most people get defensive uh, when you mention change. Mm. Uh, What's been interesting to see is how many people have participated in a lockdown for COVID, which shows that it is possible. You know, the arguments that radical change is impossible have been nullified. So the question that we need to ask ourselves Mm -hmm. as well, under what uh, conditions can we have a radical shift uh, for uh, climate resilience, for um, looking after our biodiversity? Um, a radical transformation for ensuring everyone has access to, to resources, dignified uh, work, and um, and enjoyable lives. Um, mm. On on futuring and imaginaries, uh, definitely recommend uh, looking at the work of Geshe uh, Karuri Sabina, who's uh, been wonderful to connect with this year, uh, and her comment that in creating some of the imaginaries, we kind of lock ourselves into four stale futures uh, of urban visions, and they all kind of represent these four archetypes. And the role of future studies or futuring is really to get people comfortable with not having a a certain vision uh, and being able to, to explore, well, what could different futures be and not be locked into them? So that's been quite exciting, even as I'm still trying to work mm. out what that means in in my own practice. Yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, and then smart cities yeah. uh, smart cities what smart cities TM the corporate vision you know is very dangerous uh, in a way because who owns it? Uh, but smart cities as a as a concept which people are trying to reclaim use the word because it it conveys this kind of prepackaged holistic infrastructure control system that. Is run by a corporate, uh, and if, for example, you, 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 your license is up, then well, you're locked out of your own system. You know, so the question: if you want to install that, who owns the city? Who owns that system? Um, but the smart city, as as a concept, you know, is, is really just about making use of these fantastic breakthroughs in in information communication technology uh, for data collection, for communication, for uh, integration of systems. You know, I mean, how wonderful would it be to have a single card that you can tap to take the train, a minibus taxi, to unlock a bicycle, to pay for groceries, you know? Uh, so so that's quite an enticing thing in terms of making our lives easier. And the the main caveat for a smart city in Africa is, is um, uh, who participates and making sure that it doesn't yeah. lock people out of the economy um, and out of... Uh, uh, work opportunities so you know being aware mm. of, of the excitement to have machines doing the work for us but frankly we need economies that value uh people that take you know that give people work and and um, meaning so mm. yeah lots lots in this smart city.
0: um super fascinating um a, a lot of what you you said I, I really love and um we'll definitely get the 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 uh, author that you mentioned now uh, just repeat repeat her name one more time for me this
1: is Geshi Kururi Sabina um, I'll forward a, okay. um, an article of hers great she has a great provocation that we'll, we did we'll as, that as part of um, uh, Rise Africa Eclipse kind of uh, inspiring oh, event yes. platform so uh, fantastic
0: whichever. we'll definitely put her name into into the uh, description of the of the podcast as well and also um you know i love what you said about you know you engaged with somebody uh, in cape town who said you know what does that really look like for me if i walk out and and what does an inclusive lit- city really look or feel like mm. and i wonder if, if you could share maybe some inspiring stories of cities around the world that are that are doing interesting things or, or different noteworthy things
1: Sure. I I saw this question written and and I I think I I failed to prepare. Um, My experience every time I meet with someone working in the city is uh, excitement um, because Mm. these are committed people who are interested and they know their city and they're interested in improving their city Uh, and contrary to to, expectations of cities as dispassionate disconnected uninterested and and the cause of the problems Um, everyone i I meet working in a city is committed to making it a better place you know where it of course becomes difficult are uh, where as we spoke about in the complex systems point uh, economics politics uh, collide uh, with social good with limited resources um, and and you see the the sometimes the inability to to achieve the outcomes that people are committed to. So I think every city has has really interesting things that they're they're working on. Some of the things uh, I've been involved in uh, at the moment, uh, I've sort of worked uh, quite a bit with with food. So uh, helping cities to take on a food systems perspective, and that means shifting it from uh, just thinking about agriculture and urban agriculture to really looking at a whole value chain perspective. Uh, So uh, working with Arusha City Council, who uh, two years ago, I think we articulated uh, a vision for the food system and uh, looked at some of the policy um, actions that they could take. And they now convene a um, committee of of interested uh, actors around Uh, food safety, um, and that's kind of continuing and and emerging. Um, Antananarivo in Madagascar gave a really nice framing that their role as a local government is to uh, convene stakeholders, uh, facilitate the dialogue between these committed stakeholders, and offer some demonstrations of how sustainability can be done, Um, and I thought that was a really nice framing for the role of a city, is to facilitate and demonstrate. Cape Town, mm, definitely. Uh, Cape Town through through COVID is also sort of trying to articulate well, what is it, its role in in urban food systems? Um, looking at circular economy, we're we're working with Accra Municipal Assembly um, on what circular economy could mean, and so this idea of how do we set up good uh, data systems to uh, track resources, um, and particularly if we could divert. Uh, waste from landfill, particularly organic waste and most African cities are about 60% organic waste which ends up in rivers and landfills Um, that can be integrated back into um, food systems either as animal feed or um, as compost Mm. so lots of lots of cases uh, like that um... Um, I'm not not very good at recording uh, (laughs) no but I mean I think it's wonderful (laughs) to
0: hear and it's so wonderful and refreshing to hear you know that that in your experience, there are so many people who are so passionate and driven and, and dedicated to making cities a better place. Um, it really is a is a really wonderful thing to hear. Um, but I think also, I mean, for a lot of people that might be listening to this, this might also be quite a sort of far off. Obviously, we all live in cities, but the the way in which we engage in a city. Um, you know, might also feel, I mean, I, I certainly sometimes feel like that, um, you know, I I don't really understand what m- me as an everyday citizen could be doing differently or could be doing that, that might also help shift um, systems or, um, you know, the status quo into the direction that we're hoping it will go. Um, so, you know, how do we t- as everyday citizens maybe take a little bit more power into our own hands and do you have any sort of comments or points that that you think you know anybody could be thinking of in the in their everyday engagement with urban landscapes?
1: Well I, I think it's twofold. Um, our generation has taken on a lot in terms of social and environmental issues and and there's often bit of a scorecard of, of what types of things you're doing. Are you recycling? Are you composting? Are you eating vegan? Um, are you taking your privilege? Are you, you know, creating space for voice? And and I think it's it's fantastic to see and it's so exciting to see this emerge. Um, you know, but I think I think it's often a burden mm. uh, for people to find, as you said, what is the specific thing that I need to be doing. So oh my God, I'm going to do it, Uh, my father has indicated that, has said, you know, look, you've got to lead the most ethical life you can. And so I think keeping that in mind and being, you know, deciding what matters to you, you know, are you going to choose clothes from local providers? And that's your key contribution, you know, and being supportive of that. Uh, and And excited by that. So I think going easy on yourself mm. um, because the changing the system is not one person's role. it is part of a movement. And yes, we all need to participate. so so, you know, with that said, go easy on yourself, but challenge yourself to keep looking for those opportunities, you know for for learning a bit more or trying something new. And then, and then it's the other side of the coin, which is, which is the city um, as local government or, or uh, business entities need to enable the actions that we take. One of our projects is looking at um, the, the carbon footprint of Capetonians, uh, which is huge. And we're trying to find, well, what types of behavioral choices can we uh, take on to, uh, to reduce that? And only a certain number of the choices that you as individuals make because we are locked into a carbon mm. uh, economy. And I only realized what, the, you know, we can use the term easily. I only realized what that meant, which is you can go vegan, you can stop taking any form of transportation, but whatever service or good you purchase or pursue in the city is fueled by coal electricity. Mm. <laughs> and So you... you Cannot go carbon neutral uh, unless you, you stop existing or participating in the city. Mm. So, so that's where the role of the city is, is important, the role of the country is important in creating the enablers of good choices. Mm. And a colleague in Dar es Salaam said something yesterday, uh, which is that she has seen that whenever good choices exist, people take them. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's about creating those opportunities. So it's all very well to have an educational campaign on recycling. But if no one comes to collect your recycling or there isn't a recycling bin, you're, you're limited in your ability to pursue that. So go easy on yourself. Do look for other opportunities to to be conscientious and contribute to society. Um, but also hold government accountable to make the options that you want available. Mm. How's that? Brilliant. <laughs> and
0: I think you said something really powerful uh, wherever good choices exist, people will take those. Um, and I think sometimes we're quite cynical about human nature and um, and I think it's it's that's such a what lovely reminder that actually if the if the choices exist and they are accessible and possible, that we will that we want to make the right choice. So I think that's that's very powerful. Thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. I think just uh, sort of we we're, we're getting sort of to the end um, of our of our podcast, and it's been a lovely discussion. And I just wanted to leave our readers or our listeners rather with, um, you mentioned one author that we'll, we'll already post uh, sort of in the bio, um, but is there are there any other resources that you might recommend for anyone who is interested in reading more or listening more about this topic, delving a little bit deeper into all of the different um, yeah um, areas that you spoke about now?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I must punt my... Uh, the co-conveners <laughs> of the definitely uh, sustainable, uh, the sustainable cities module. So if you haven't read Swilling or Peter, um, you know they they are the you know it people on <laughs> on sustainable cities. Um, but but lots of authors and I I could probably give a list. What I liked about the question when I read it was that it suggested I can look beyond cities. And mm. So uh, I have been uh, on an African writers uh, journey to kind of get uh, to better know the voices of of different writers across the continent. Um, And it's been wonderful. And what's exciting me the most is that there are new voices who are doing uh, African sci-fi and fantasy, Mm. which means that, you know, we can, uh, well, it's important to read about colonialism, post-colonialism, independence, independence, uh, disappointment, corruption and, and all of these themes, which are the tropes, it's also wonderful to start to see these imaginaries about different possibilities and different worlds, uh, which, of course, still comment about um, the, the current state, mm. um, but perhaps less emotionally so. So I think my favorite writer at the moment is Nnedi is Okorafor, who's a Nigerian-American uh, uh, who um, has written, for example, Lagoon, which is about Uh, Aliens Arriving in Lagos Lagoon and what unfolds there. Uh, Or uh, the Binti series, which uh, is about um, the first woman of her village to be accepted to the galaxy's best university. Uh, And then um, uh, Tomi Adeyemi is a Nigerian voice who writes a fantasy story uh, in Nigeria. And the language of magic is Yoruba. Um, and how perfect. Um, so uh, those are, are a few. Um, those are two names to that's, check out. That's
0: brilliant. And I love it because um, when I had a conversation with uh, Dr. Odi Selomana who lectures on our biodiversity module at the SI, he actually also mentioned Binti by Neri Okarafor. So that's that's brilliant that the same author is actually showing oh, dear, up twice. Someone beat me too. <laughs>
1: Yes, I'm afraid so.
0: But I think that's amazing because I think um, I actually purchased the book on on Audible as well. And I'm just I can't wait to listen to it. So I think it'll be my my December read. But I think that's that's some excellent um, recommendations. And I think it'll be perfect timing for for people to have some some holiday reads. So thank you for that.
1: Absolutely.
0: And I think just to end off, and I I, I think you you already left us with a lot of provocative um, questions, and and you you mentioned your father who who probably had quite a big influence on, on your values and how you think, and this this really powerful um, you know message that he left you with of leading an ethical life. But I wonder if you'd like to just end us off with. You know, a provocative question that you'd that you'd like to leave, um, leave our audience with.
1: What I'm missing the most during COVID lockdown is being in community, and it's not so much about the um, it's not so much about the purposeful interactions with friends and family, but it's about the unexpected interactions that happen. And this is possibly my where my love for cities comes from. Is because of the conversations and the worlds that you can discover simply by talking to someone standing next to you at the sidewalk or sitting on a bench nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, so what my provocation to those who are listening would be is um, to, to, when possible, uh, seek out those conversations. Um, because you never know when it's going to be a transformative one, even if it does just start with how the weather is.
0: Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Love it. Um, thank you so much, <laughs> Paul, uh, for your time today. That's uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Super fascinating, as always. I feel I could you know talk for hours on these topics, but um, I think we've we've had a good run. And thanks again for for your inputs. And good luck with your work at ICLEI. Um and we're looking forward to seeing more of the work that, that you do and also to next year's Sustainable Cities course and seeing what comes out of that.
1: Absolutely. Lovely to speak to you, Vanessa. Thanks,
0: Paul.